HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The James Beard Foundation is a nonprofit with the mission to celebrate, nurture, and honor chefs and other leaders making America's food culture more delicious, diverse, and sustainable for everyone. And right now, it's working to respond to the dire situation the food and beverage community is in due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Restaurants, bars, and other independent food and beverage operations are often on the front lines of community revival. The majority of culinary community businesses have less than 500 employees, but collectively, this industry generates $1 trillion a year, 60 of which is pumped back into their local business communities. To help bring swift economic relief to these essential businesses, the James Beard Foundation launched a fund to provide microgrants to independent food and beverage businesses in need. You can donate today at jamesbeard.org relief. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Philip Rivers, the founder and CEO of GoTetra, a messaging agency that specializes in email marketing. Phil is an e-commerce veteran who built his career building stores and selling them over the past 14 years. Now he helps e-com store owners create highly effective email communications channels. Hi, Phil. I'm glad you're here. Hi, Ali. Or Thank there. you for having me. <laughs> I'm glad you're <laughs> here spiritually. Um, where are you in the world right now? I'm in Brooklyn. Okay. So you're not that far away from me. Um, and how is your quarantine going? How are you doing? Well, you know, I have a newborn. So I, know. I feel like we would be quarantined pretty much anyways. You know, we just <laughs> right. less, less strolls in the, right. in the stroller. But overall, it's pretty much, I feel like it's pretty much the same. We, had a, we picked a good time to have a baby. Yes, yes, that's true. Um, and she's really a cute one, by the way. We should use her picture as like <laughs> the should. podcast <laughs> intro as opposed to yours. Um, no offense. So no, it's taken. We, we met, um, basically, I'm going to sort of, you, you know, I, I use Havens as the example 
in all of these interviews because we are really much very like much in it. Um, and we're going through all of the steps that early stage companies have to go through. Um, we are not a direct to consumer company. So I was a little bit curious about how email marketing would work for us. I understand when you have like a subscription to, you know, a I don't know, donuts or hydration or, you know, just nail polish or whatever, I get the email thing. Um, with us, I was a little bit confused about what our goals were and what we were actually, you know, trying to accomplish um, through our emails. But what was amazing was that, you know, A, you broke down for me why emails are sort of, you know, the unsung hero of marketing to your consumers or people that you want to be your consumers. And B, you took our mailing list, which, you know, is 18,000 people, and you started helping us do something productive with us, um, with it. So um, I'd love you to talk a little bit about, A, your feelings about email, because I know that they run deep, um, and B, sort of when you met me and you met Haven's Kitchen, what your goals became for not only, you know, the sauce business, but the brick and mortar and just like how you wanted me as sort of the unconvinced or un, you know, uh, introduced, you know, how you wanted me to start thinking about email. Absolutely. So I think, well, the way that I look at email in general is that you know, it's the one audience that you truly own. And I know that's like how we got our conversation started off at the outset, Allie, is that, you know, you can go out and you can rent an audience from Facebook or Google to show them ads um, or even build this organic following on like Instagram or social media, for example. But even so, even in that case, the audience is owned by someone else and it can be taken right. away from you at a moment's notice. Email is the only uh, channel in which you own the, the contact, if you will, or the subscriber and are in complete control over what you send to them. Whom you, to whom you send it to, um, and when you send it. Which is a good point, because when we first met, I remember talking about this, I was feeling really frustrated about Instagram, because I was starting to get the impression, you know, out of 25,000 followers or whatever, only a couple hundred maybe at a time were even seeing the posts. So, and that's just algorithm that no company has control over, that's really hard to play around with or figure out or crack. We still have no idea why some posts get seen by people and others don't. And so we started kind of, at the beginning, we were kind of upset when we would get under a certain number of likes. And then we kind of stopped feeling upset about it because it didn't seem to have any rhyme or reason to, to what we were posting. I mean, are you seeing that more and more with people with Instagram? Absolutely. I think that it's one of those things where, you know, every people kind of get caught up in the mix of, you know, I want my feed to look pretty and all of these things, not to say that it shouldn't or organic social isn't important. It, it is, but it has its place. And so I, but I think one thing that people do quite often is they sort of ignore the fundamentals of building an audience and a business and kind of get caught up in the mix of, or what do I, how do I want to call it? Um, vanity metrics on social media that don't really drive anything from a business perspective, but they make you make you feel good when you get the notification that something. So, what would liked. you say are the opposites then 
I mean, of those vanity metrics. So you were saying people for people forget one thing and then they focus on the vanity metrics. What what should they be focusing on? Well, I think that again, the organic social stuff is important, but not. I don't think that it makes sense to sort of ignore fundamental channels like email in lieu of just building a social following and right. having your your and riding the emotional roller coaster day to day of. Did, how many did, likes and how yeah. many likes, how many, how many shares, comments. how many comments, whatever it may right. be. Right. Um, and so, you know, again, social is important, but if your if your account gets banned for whatever reason tomorrow, right. then you're done. What are you left with? Yep. Yep. No, it, it's interesting too, because we, you know, I think my first thing to you was like, well, I don't really have anything that I don't have like a real call to action. You know, our classes were always sold out and I wasn't really trying to get, I wasn't going to use email necessarily to try to sell more classes. Um, What I really wanted to use email for was to communicate well with the people that chose to follow us, which is your point. Like there are, you know, I guess people who choose to follow you on Instagram are choosing to follow you, but they don't necessarily get to see what you're putting out into the world. People who sign up for your email list are choosing to sign up for your list and they, and they want to see what you have to put out. And you're right, you get to control that and there's no one blocking, there's no one kind of in between you and those people. And I think my question to you was like, I don't know I don't know how to think about these 18,000 people. I don't know what I'm trying, what my goals are for reaching them. We had been sending a monthly newsletter for, you know, I guess the last 12, you know, or not 12, eight years that we were in business. And I never really knew what I was even, how to measure if it was successful or not. Um, so what do you remember of those early conversations with me? Yeah, so I think but just real quick, going back to like, the on social on the social side the how the percentage of your audience that sees stuff versus the percentage of your audience that sees stuff if it's sent via email right mm-hmm. and so generally on social only it's like two to four percent of your audience sees any one of your posts yeah. which is pretty small that's and crazy i don't know that people know that i don't think so yeah and and so even if you have insane engagement and it's six percent which is an outlier but even so that's still of the audience doesn't see it. Mm -hmm. Whereas with email, it's easy to click the follow button on Instagram, but with email, it's, it takes a lot lot more effort or convincing for the person that's actually putting their email address in the first place and hitting enter, right? Right. There's more of a commitment there than just following. So there are more committed customers, what you're saying. Yeah. Or, or subscriber or lead, whatever they are. But on the email side, if you're doing it well, you're in the least getting 20% open rate. Right. So already, again, assuming the audiences are the same size, but you're getting four times as many people seeing whatever you're putting out as opposed to on social where it's, you know, two, three, 4% or so. Got it. Um, and so the way that I look at what email is that any business on earth, they have something that, to sell, right? Something of right. value that presumably to an audience that is seeking out that product, whatever it may be. Right. And so to your point where at the outset, you weren't thinking about email necessarily for uh, the direct direct to consumer piece, but more so like how do we leverage this tool for our classes or for our events or for the restaurant or for our direct to consumer products. Right. 
Generally, I don't think that it matters if you have a shopping cart online or you don't. You have, if you distill it all down, you have something to sell to an audience and an audience that wants to buy your product, right? right. That could be manure. It could be tennis shoes. It could be Botox. It doesn't matter. Right. Um, just the way that the money is changing hands is different if it's not happening online in a shopping cart. But even so, you have the two basic fundamentals of any business, a product right. and an audience. And in our case, I think part of the problem or, you know, the, the, it wasn't a problem exactly, but part of the complication was that we had a bunch of different audiences. Right. So, you know, we had people who signed up for classes and we had people who came into the cafe and, you know, used Square. We had people who were interested in the sauces. We had people who were on our mailing list because they attended a wedding there or something like that and they signed up. So I think... Now's probably a, a good time to just talk about how, whether you have 200 people on your email list or 18,000 people on your email list, I think one of the important things that you kind of taught me is they're not all necessarily going to play with you the same way. And from my understanding, it's not necessarily about sort of telling everyone the same message, but figuring out the right messages to send to the right people. And that's basically what segmentation is. is that exactly. You took accurate? the word right out of my mouth. So tell me about segmentation, Phil. So segments are pretty much just attributes or behaviors that people have that we use to group them to determine what message we're going to send to them and when we're going to send it. So, for example, just to keep it a very, very simple example. Mm -hmm. If someone has just opted in to, your, to subscribe to your newsletter, let's just say it's for classes, right? They want to know more about classes. They're going to receive um, some like high level storytelling, onboarding sort of messaging around classes, your your sort of story for why you started them in the first place, why they're important to you, how they're administered, the types of programming that you have, when they happen, the pricing, all of these things. We'll go right. into a series of different messages, really, because what you're doing at that point is telling someone that's raised their hand and said, hey, I want to know more about your classes and taking them through a journey, if you will. OK, yeah. Throughout this journey they're taking certain actions or they're not. For example, they're opening the email or they're clicking to a page. Those are both actions or behaviors that we can use to then create another deeper segment, right? So someone that had opted in to learn more about classes and right. has engaged or clicked but hasn't bought yet, right? So they're going down sort of the customer journey or the path to purchase to right. buy their first class. But So then we would talk to that person as time goes on, or that segment a little bit differently, because we know they're interested, they showed us with their actions, opens, and clicks, that they, they're interested in the courses, but there's something left to be desired for them. Maybe it's pricing, maybe it's scheduling, who knows. Right. Um, and that's a, like another conversation to have internally. But I think that all I'm trying to illustrate is that um, there's high level stuff we do to come up with segments initially, but then people just buy nature of their engagement or lack thereof will self-segment as time goes on. And that creates opportunities to send them more poignant messaging. Right. I mean, is that helpful? Does that make yeah, sense? no, that, no, that super makes sense. I mean, I'm wondering like, you know, the, I, I think of it as like buckets, you know, like, yep. and each bucket has its own sort of like tree that comes out of it. Um, you know, this person has, clicked in, but they haven't bought anything. This person didn't open the email in the first place. I mean, but you can't go that granular. So 
how do you know when it's like, so you said something before you said 20% open rate is like the minimum. So if you, first of all, curious about like the tools, you know, you use, or you would recommend to a business starting out or like trying to figure this whole thing out, like how should they be tracking? What are sort of like, when do you know, like, Ooh, this is a good open rate. If you don't have a good open rate, chances are it, there's something in, in the message or there's something in the subject, something's gone wrong. Can you troubleshoot that? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I want to talk about the click rate because that's then seems to be like the second step, which is now they're going in even further. And so just like if you were, if you were starting a sauce business, for example, uh-huh. and I wasn't necessarily, you're not necessarily selling sauce online. Your end goal for these people isn't necessarily to buy something from you, but it's to go to a grocery store and buy it there. How would you sort of think about that? What would you do for to make a really good open rate? What would you do to make a really good click rate? Like, how okay, would you think so, about it? Yeah. So on on the open rate side, it all that really starts with the audience that a message is being sent to, and really mm-hmm. the subject line of that email. Right. Because that's the one thing that people see in the inbox outside of who it's coming from, like. Alley or Haven's Kitchen, for example, right. um, that's going to elicit some sort of uh, curiosity from them and get them to open. And is there anything right. you've seen best practice or worst practice about that subject line? No, honestly, unfortunately, no. A lot of it is like, <laughs> I always say it's part art, part science. Yeah. Um, and But you can either be, to put it kind of a little bit simply, you can either be direct or indirect in the subject line in the sense that direct is you're pretty much telling them explicitly <laughs> what's inside the email. Right. Right. So sauce recipe enclosed. Right. That's pretty clear what's inside. Right. Whereas an indirect one is using more like curiosity. You're, maybe you're playing with words or it's a pun or something. So it's not exactly clear. but. Right. You're, so, yeah, it, I don't want to say you're tricking people because that's not what you're doing, but you're being a little bit more creative in like a little coy, right? Yeah, exactly. We did one for, um, we did a last week, Haven sent out like something about all these things you can make with vinegar and how it's like the unsung hero of the kitchen. And our subject line was bring some tarty to your party. <laughs> I like that. Thank you. We felt really good about it. I'm going to ask Kendall what the open rate was on that one. Yeah, tell um, me. Okay. But, like that. but that's, an, that's, a, that's a good example of an indirect right. subject yes. line. Yes, got um, it. And you can't use that those every time because ultimately the audience is going to be, especially if you are if you do it, some, some people do that just to get the open, but the underlying message isn't aligned or it's mm-hmm. so off base that it's like it was done in like sort of a, a shady way just to get the open. So that right. can play well over time. That's another thing that people do is or people think email doesn't work or that only sh- shady stuff happens. But what I often say is like, you know, if you put shit in, you're going to get shit out. Right. In the sense no, that, that if you treat sense. your audience poorly by trying to trick them, they're not going to stay around very long. And if you treat yeah. them with respect, they will. They'll engage and ultimately they'll buy. Or do and whatever. ultimately, it seems like, you know, everything else in this business, and I feel like I say this on every single episode of this podcast, whether I'm talking about like buyers or distributors or your consumers, ultimately, it's about building that relationship, right? So they know that when 
you send them something, you're not just like, buy this, buy this, buy this. Like you're actually trying to give some value to them um, and and give them something interesting, right? Because I mean, I can't stand yep. those buy this discount. I mean, I unsubscribe. Well, it I've just gets played out a lot super lately. fast. Yeah, yeah. And so, and to your point, that's like, that's one exercise that we went through with, with Haven's Kitchen was yeah. like, okay, what, what, what do we want to communicate with them on an ongoing basis so that like we provide value to them and we get the engagement and they know that we're not just like trying to sell them a packet of sauce or trying to get them to take a class right. or come into the restaurant. Well, what and, you ended up, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go on. No, what you ended up doing for us. And I think this is really, this was really cool. Like we ended up being able to figure out who, who on the mailing list more or less wanted to know what was on our menu every other week because we changed the menu every other week. So we were able to make a segment um, based on, you know, square basically for people to just, because people would call us all the time and it's on the website and they'd ask us in DMs, like what's the soup this week? So we were able to now every other week, we created a template and we send an email to all those people who were actually interested in asking just what the menu is. Um, we're not telling them to do anything or asking them to do anything. We're just giving them that information, which right. no which one they told you they wanted. From. They told us they wanted, and everyone stayed on that list. Yeah, um, I separately. The, I bet the engagement is sky high. Also, yeah, for sure. Um, then we sent one similar where there are people who are like, "When's the new class calendar coming out?" And that comes out, you know, every other month for the following months. So we did something similar to anyone who had ever taken a class. We segmented that list. And now we send them like, these are the classes that you can take. And you're the kind of the first people to know when we've just put up the new calendar. Um, So a lot of it has been just sort of, and then when there's like a company-wide thing, you know, like this disruption to business or a message from me, or, you know, now we're doing virtual classes or yes, we just launched a new sauce all over the country those are sort of reserved for the 18,000 person list. Um, but we've pulled out these segments and we're just communicating with them in a way that we never did. Um, right. Which I think but is something building. That's also like inherently um, like it, it's inherently like just a part of your business. There's many updates. Naturally there's people that live within the community that want to get the updates. Don't, want to pick up the phone and call you or have to DM you to get it. And right. so you make their life easier by just serving it up to them in their inbox every two weeks. Right. So now let's say I'm not Haven's Kitchen. Now let's say I am a cookie company um, with a big direct-to-consumer business um, because I think that's a lot of founders are doing that. Yes, I also sell my cookies in stores, but for the most part, like a lot of it, you know, it's a the big hunk of it is direct to consumer. How would you, A, recommend that I build that email list? And B, can you kind of walk me through building up the relationship with people who sign up for the list? Because my my understanding is like, you don't just want a quick purchase. You want to build that relationship and then over time, they become regular customers and, and right, because part of, and tell me when to stop, 
part of the way that people are building up those lists right now are through Facebook and Instagram ads, right? And they're paying yep. essentially they're to reach leads. people. All right. So t- walk me through that process. So I think that first and foremost with email, like, yes, building a relationship is important, but if someone wants to buy, I'm not going to make it hard. I hard. would advise you make it hard <laughs> for them to buy or have to wait to, to make a purchase. Right? right. Okay. And so, you know, most, if any business, whether they're running paid traffic, you know, face Instagram ads, Facebook ads, you know, paid search on Google, whatever it is, or traffic is just coming to their site organically, mm-hmm. but because the brand is good, the product's good, whatever it may be. Every day, there's opportunity coming to their site that's interested in their product. Maybe they're not ready to buy. In fact, on any given day, most people aren't going to buy, um, right. but they're interested, right? Whether they organically or, or paid. And so from an email perspective, it behooves you to do whatever you can to capture as many leads on any given day from the traffic that you're paying for that's already coming organically to the site. That's Usually, why when you click on, they ask you to sign in. Like that's yes, why they the ask you for name. Yep. Yeah, like yep. looking through the lens of the cookie I, cookie cookie company, right? right? You you come to the I let's say I click an ad, I come to the site, I'm browsing around, trying to see if I like their cookies, or whatever. And but so it behooves me, the cookie company, to show them a pop up to say like, hey, so and so, you know, subscribe, get twenty five twenty percent off your first purchase. That's very right. common sort of pop up and uh, and way to generate leads because right. high va- very high value. Um, or high perceived value from the person giving their email and they get a deal, right? Generally right. speaking, that should convert really well on the pop-up and that person, there's a very high probability that that person is going to make a purchase. Okay. And so, but once they opt in, let's just say it's this 20% off coupon code. Once they opt in and some people will buy right then and there when they get the coupon code, but most won't. Okay. And so this is where it's uh, becomes again, part art, part science in the sense of how do you start to communicate what's special about your cookie company to right. this person to build that relationship and begin to evangelize them? So much so that they, at some point, there's a message that resonates with them that they click back to the site, ideally to make a purchase. But even at that point, most people aren't ready to make a purchase yet because mm-hmm. it takes on average like 12 to 18 touch points online to get someone ready to buy from you. So when you say touch point, that means, does that include like they see an Instagram ad or the, and then they mm-hmm. see a Facebook thing exactly. and then they go on your website, 12 to 18, 12 to 18. Cause you know, it's everything is super buy. loud out there, you know, and we're being, we we're in a day with messaging on various right. platforms throughout the day and in our inbox also. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so as the brand, you can, it's like, that's just the way that it is 12 to 18 touch points. And right. so, there's something that we can do about that, but it's like, okay, then how are you going to strategically manufacture those touch points to really nurture people from being cold to becoming a first time customer? Right. To your point, you can show them ads. They see organic stuff on Instagram 2% of the time, um, what have you. But if you're relying on ads, that's cool, but you're still paying every time Mm -hmm. you show that to someone, which gets expensive, especially if you're in a a low margin business like cookies. Right. Right. And so it's going to be really hard to make money long-term if you're doing that, why I think email is even more important for low margin businesses, but yep. I digress. So my point, the point being is it takes all these touch points to convert someone. And so with email, what you're doing is someone's opting in with, for that discount. You're nurturing them through what I like to call like a welcome flow, which is mm-hmm. very common. Um, <laughs> welcome flow. 
Yeah, yeah. welcome flow. The concept of it is very common, um, mm-hmm. but the devil's in the details. And and then what you're doing is ideally getting them to click to the site to start browsing product again. Some people will buy at that stage. Most people won't. But right. then they get enrolled in another sort of flow based on where they are in their customer journey. And really the point of these flows is to little by little with uh, automation, nurture people from one part of the customer journey to the next and so on, but really getting them to the ultimate hurdle, which is getting them to buy the first time. And once someone does that, they're five times more likely to buy from you a second time than a new person is to buy once or the first time. That's a cool number. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Um, so when I get these like, oh, hey, Allison, you know, looks like you were whatever, like the, <laughs> they're tracking me. So they, yeah. they they know that I've been in there. They know that I clicked out. They're coming back to get me. Then sometimes I might put something in my cart, but not feel like getting my credit card. And then I get a, oops, looks like you forgot something. Yep. I mean, is there, sometimes they really annoy me and I feel a bit harassed and other times I'm like, oh yeah, I need to buy that rainbow mug that I bought the other day, <laughs> literally in, you know, times of quarantine. So what, like, I know it's an art and I know it's a science and I can imagine that the short answer is don't be a jackass when you're like talking to your consumer but when you talk about these flows and getting people from warm or from cold to warm, are there any rules of thumb? Is there any sort of like how often, times, what what to do, what not to do? Like, yeah. is there anything kind of? So I would say that the one thing that people have a tendency to do is use their own like biases or worldview and when they apply it to email. So for example, I hear this all the time, like you, oh, uh, you know, I get these I got these emails and they annoy me. I don't want to do these for my business. Right. Right. That's like a knee-jerk reaction that a lot of owners have. And I personally like to take emotion out of the equation or, you know, bias worldviews out of the equation, come up with a, like a, a framework for, set, you know, said business and let the data tell us if the audience is annoyed or not because right. data never lies. Right. And so to answer your, your question, there's, yeah, there's definitely a fine line between, between being too aggressive or being too annoying, but there's also something to be said about the, the consumer on the other side that's receiving them that maybe they just like aren't, maybe like for some of these companies, you're just not in the headspace where like, maybe you're just against shopping at the moment or their brand sucks or whatever it is. And you're like, oh, why did I even subscribe in the first place? So that's also right. happening to some extent also, right? But right. for most companies, that sort of uh, perspective or sort of, mindset that that person is an outlier, right? And it doesn't necessarily reflect, reflect the, uh, the preferences of the core audience that really want to be there or are your customers that want to hear from you. So right. I would say that generally speaking, like, let's just, we can talk through the lens of the abandoned cart because that was kind of the example that you gave. Right. But- so the abandoned cart, I was a little bit, I was a bit unconvinced about, mm-hmm. but your point was like, it's literally leaving like money on the table, money on the table. So, so the abandoned cart is almost like the last, the last part of the flow, right? You've gotten someone all the way to the point where it's the last flow before they convert or they don't. Right. So they've, they've put something in their shopping cart and then they leave you. 
And yeah. so you're like, you're not, you said to me, you're not sending, you're not going back to any of those people and saying like, Hey, do you want this? And I was right. like, yeah, cause it feels like a little bit obnoxious and you're like, no, but they might actually want it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So talk to me about abandoned cart. So and like, how many your, people are not using them right now? I mean, how you many? You'd be surprised. Yeah. I probably talk to 40 to 60 companies a month and most companies have them what I like to call like in name only, like they're, they are there. Like they took a template that one of these email companies gives you like uh Klaviyo is a, a platform that a lot of my e-commerce clients are on and they have templates in there that you can use and they just use whatever Klaviyo gives them out of the box, turn it on and they think it's going to work. But okay. it, it's not that simple. So, right. um, but generally speaking, like, yeah, that is the, the, the people that are, have added to cart, but not purchased. They're the closest to buying from a mindset, mm-hmm. touch point, all these things perspective, like they're almost at, across the first major hurdle, which is the first conversion. Um, right. And so <clears throat> in terms of setting up the abandoned cart, generally uh, for e-com, we have, we usually do between three to five emails in the abandoned cart. Um, some clients or some people that I work with, they're into discounting, others aren't, which, you know, again, there's just implications of how you execute on the abandoned cart if you're not using discounts because Wait, you know you, you mean got th- three to five emails. Someone has left something in their cart. You you ping them three to five times before mm-hmm. you give up on them. Yeah. And in some of those three to five times, some people are like, if you buy it today, you'll get a twenty percent discount. Exactly. Which right. is usually towards the end because yeah. why waste a discount on the first email if someone's going to buy anyways? Right. And so, yeah. yes, three to five emails, the, the, like it's not, five sounds like a lot, but it all comes down to like, what's the underlying business or product that, that, that a, you know, a particular company is selling. And some companies or some industries are just traditionally more aggressive than others. And right. so it's not a hard and fast rule. It has to be five. But in the least, I always say three. Okay. And the first one is? The first one is just like the one you described. You forgot this in your card. Oh, hey. Uh, remind because you. Yeah. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Because like what happens a lot of times is you're you're on your phone, you want to get your credit card out or whatever, and you're like, I'll do this later. And that, mm-hmm. that first message serves as just like a reminder that this is there. Right. Second, usually, and so the first one, usually we send an hour or two hours after they abandon cart. The next one, a day later. And lately what we've been doing a lot of is sending that as really more of like a plain text email, but really through the lens of providing service. Like, so I think if I was going to go into a really nice department store, right, let's just say uh, Barney's RIP. And I was going to go in there and I'm trying on, you know, shoes or suit or whatever it may be. There's going to be a salesperson that's like ideally tending to me to, you know, help me so that I buy something. And so I like to approach the second email in the abandoned cart, similar to that in the sense that like, hey, you left this there. Is there anything I can do to help you? Right. Usually from someone at the company, not an email address, like support at cookieco.com. But like, right. you know. Julie Courtney. at cookie, right. Exactly. <laughs> and so so much so that it, it gives a perception that this is coming from an individual that actually typed this to me right now, even though it's automated. Um, but positioned and angled in such a way that it it reads like someone from the company is emailing me to see if I have any questions about this thing that's in my cart that I haven't purchased yet. By the way, I'm laughing because 
every single time I get one of those like, hey, it's Margaret from blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, hey, Margaret, thank you. Like I actually write back and I'm sure like, it's like I'm 85. I'm yeah. like, oh, Margaret from reached out to talk to me and she wants to hear about my oh. life. Like I'm a ding dong. I'm never writing back. Anyway. Don't write back. I won't. That's so, so embarrassing. So, I totally uh, believed it was like a person. I mean, I'm Ugh. sure in some instances it is. But no, it's never. I'm not. sure it's not at all. <laughs> it's like there's one like, you know, I don't know, wood chip company and, you know, wherever that still has a human being doing it. Mm-hmm. But all right. So that's so, number two. How can I help? You know, that's what yeah. that's what's been working really well lately. And I like it because it's a different approach. Most people, they do the easiest thing they can, which is they just use some of the templates that one of these services gives you and they Mm -hmm. hardly change anything. And so there's no variation email, email one to email two or three. And it's just like, it couldn't be, Oh, Hey, you forgot this. Here's the product again. Complete, uh, complete your checkout. Like there's nothing unique or special about it. So, so generally I like this just performs well because it's different approach and people aren't used to getting an abandoned cart email that looks like this. Right. Yep. And then the third one, again, depending on the business and stuff, I'll use a, a discount. Or if a brand doesn't want to use a discount, I'll tell them, be like, hey, so and so. I like to, we oftentimes position this as, you know, this item is reserved in your cart until midnight. Right. And just let them know, like, yo, it's here if you want it, no pressure, but we can't, we can't um, Keep set it this in there aside forever. forever. Right. Got it. Okay. Um, or like through the lens of the cookie company, you know, cards expire just like cookies do. Ooh, check out tonight. That's a good one. Any cookie founders out there, you can use that one. Yeah, you can use that. Um, yeah, and just you know, cite Phil. Okay, I think this is a great place to take a break. We'll be right back with Phil. Restaurants employ over 15 million people nationwide, and two-thirds of all restaurants are independently owned and not part of big chains. Yet currently, these small businesses are not represented in government relief negotiations. Roar is working to change that by fighting for relief opportunities for all restaurants. Roar is advocating for an eight-point plan in New York State that will allow restaurants to reopen and rehire when the time comes. Dozens of industry leaders have signed on to the plan, like Nam Wa Tea Parlor, Field Trip, Momofuku, and many more of your favorites. You can join them at change.org by searching for Roar, relief opportunities for all restaurants. I'm back with Phil Rivers from Go Tetra. Can we go back a little bit to how Instagram and Facebook ads should speak to your email list and like what is a good rate of you know so because a lot of the people that listen to this podcast don't have agencies or uh you know companies doing this marketing stuff for them like doing their ads doing any of it right mm-hmm. so like this marketing stuff is kind of for when you you've reached a certain point but i think that there is a way to be smart about it where you're leveraging the tools that do exist out there and one of them is clearly you know these ads yeah so how do you get your facebook or your instagram ad to push people 
do, do you push them to your website and just try to get like a pop-up where you're capturing their email there? Or should they push to some specific page um, that you can, because how do you track it and how do you know that you're, that you're spending well buying those ads and that they are actually converting into email subscribers? Yeah, so this is like a whole other can of worms, the ad stuff that yeah. is its own podcast in and of itself. And I have exposure to it because I I have exposure to the ads because I've been in e-com for so long and I've run them for people before. But I, I'll I'll preface everything that I'm about to say with there's a lot of people out there that do ads way better than me yeah. and know okay. a lot more than me because email really is my uh, you're right you know, my because you like you grab the baton once the ad has worked and now you have the people exactly. in your email list. Got it. Exactly. I understand. Okay. So, but to answer your question, yeah. um. In terms of do we send them to the site and show them a pop-up or send them to a dedicated landing page, which is the marketing marketer term of what you said, um, okay. there's no right or wrong. It all comes back to testing. And I know that's not an answer that anyone wants. Everyone wants just like, you know, the, the silver bullet. Yeah. Um, but uh, generally, like if let's say it's the cookie company, right, and mm-hmm. they want to drive, they want to generate leads for them, I would say because they have a shopping cart, their e-commerce, drive them to the site, show them a pop-up. And you could also get creative separately in terms of, let's say you were giving, let's say you had an idea for a campaign specifically to grow the list where you're going to give away, I don't know, 500 cookies mm-hmm. to one winner, right? right? Then in that case, you drive people to a dedicated landing page that talks about this giveaway. And the whole purpose right. of this is to get opt-ins to grow the list. Right. Um, you, and people opt in, uh, for the giveaway Me, in the background, you should have some sort of like a welcome flow that starts to evangelize people after they opt into, to the giveaway. Right. And at that point later, they can go check out and this, this sort of, um, approach work can work very well. Um, but that's, I, I guess I just mentioned that so you can kind of break down what instances would I send someone to a dedicated landing page right. where there's like a specific offer or, um, or, uh, or giveaway, you know, some sort of activation versus just sending traffic to the website. Right. And I guess, I mean, the questions that keep coming up for me are like, how do you know when you've done, how do you know what's successful? You know, how do you know that you've, that you've gotten some of your money out of the Facebook ad? Like, how do you know, when you have an email list, what's the successful open rate? Which mm-hmm. you said it was about twenty percent. So let, let's How talk you, about right. let's talk about the, the I guess what I would call like the key or the the key performance indicators or benchmarks for email. And yes. with the Facebook stuff, it's kind of a loaded gun. Asking the question because it's so broad. The question is so broad, and it, the, the 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 metrics for successful. Facebook campaigns, a lot of it really comes down to like, what's the underlying business that you're sending ads to? And like, what is the average card size? And what are they selling? And, and things of that nature. So it's like, it's really tough to answer that question. Right. Um, on the Facebook side, on the email side, generally, in broad strokes, you drive traffic to your website, right? Paid or organic is coming and you're showing them a pop up to get email addresses. That pop up should in the in the least should convert at 5%. Meaning that okay. 5% yeah. of everyone that sees it gives you their email. Okay. Got it. That and, Okay. 
and on so in the least five percent and generally what we always do is optimize to get to ten percent if okay. something's converting at ten percent we won't even touch it we'll just let it ride until it starts to not perform that good um but even if let's say something's at seven percent or whatever like <clears throat> depending on most companies i would just say leave it there your pop-up's working look spend your time trying to fix something else that's broken and what how do people track that i mean how do people measure how the, many most of the services have yeah. like uh that where you do pop-ups like man i know we work within mailchimp mailchimp doesn't do that um right it's just like one of we can go deeper on mailchimp why it's like okay but not the best but you mentioned um, clavio is that something you recommend clavio is like the the platform that I always recommend and for all my e-commerce clients. Okay. Because it's really meant, it was built for e-com. It was email built Got for it. e-com, whereas MailChimp is more of like a jack of all trades, master of none email tool right. that has uh-huh. since been retrofitted for e-com, but it wasn't built for it. Right. Okay. So you've, you, your benchmark number one is that 5% of the people that click on should click in. And become and, and sign should up. give you their email. Yes. Right. Okay. Benchmark number two. Benchmark number two for open and click rate. Yep. So every industry, depending on what you're selling, there's like I guess d- different benchmarks pr- for an industry, right? Like automotive is going to be different than e-commerce selling sheets. Right. Okay. Right. But just generally speaking, I would say that. Anyone listening should try and get to 20% open rate. If your list okay. is converting less than 20%, something isn't right. Either the audience isn't right or the message that you're sending on isn't right. Right. Okay. Um, and to put things in perspective, the benchmark that we always strive for, especially with the e-commerce clients, um, which is a little you know different than the Haven's Kitchen stuff with the classes and all that, um, right. we always strive to get to 30, 30% open rate. Right. Okay. Okay. From a, and then the next one being click rate. So right. I, I always open rate and click rate are lead indicators, meaning okay. that if those numbers are healthy, then the, the sales on, on the other end are going to come like that. Got it. The sale is the lag indicator. Interesting. Okay. And so the click rate should be <clears throat> three, four percent. Okay. Somewhere around there. Most like again, average typical benchmarks are around 2% for click rate. Um, right. And so, so know, that three, means four... that you send an email, 20% of the people open it, yep. but then they don't click through to like the thing that they're like saying, click here for Correct. this thing or, you Correct. know, right. They just kind of close <clears throat> it. Got it. Exactly. Okay. And so click rate 2% is like average. But I say three, four percent. There's people accounts that we see either that we do it for them or kind of consult them that get six, seven percent. But again, that is an outlier. Most people aren't going to get that, so don't pull your. And that out. doesn't necessarily mean that the <clears throat> next metric, which I would imagine is the purchase, correct? Necessarily. I mean, I, I would, I guess, with the with a higher click through, you get a higher purchase. You would get, but, you would sell more, yes. Right, but that's because, still pretty low, I would imagine. Yes. So yeah. I would say that, like, if your click rate is below 
right. that you have work to do because that says that the contents of the email and the copy in, within the email aren't resonating. So that's where you look to optimize to improve the click rate, but really try and look to get it to three, four percent. And that, that's right. healthy and, and you're, you, you can sleep well at night. Got it. So you said something uh, and I read something that you wrote on Facebook, which I thought was like kind of the key to all of the things that you said to me. And I'm going to quote you now, which is while 90 percent of businesses are on the hunt for more traffic, the other 10% are running circles around the competition by focusing on what to do once the traffic comes to the site. So I think what you're saying is whether you have 300 people or 20,000 people, you can get a higher percentage of those people to buy. And once they have bought, as you said, they're five times more likely to buy rather than just be out there spending money trying to get people to come to your site. Is that kind of the gist? Exactly. So that's exactly right. So like there's, we're told like, you know, all the stuff that we read out there, you know, you have to be on all these channel doing channels, doing all these things. And so everyone gets caught up in like, kind of like keeping up with the Joneses, right? And like, Oh, I have a, I have a Pinterest account. I have an Instagram account, a, a Facebook page, a YouTube channel, et cetera. (laughs) And they get so, they get so like, uh, they get like tunnel vision on being on all these channels, making all these content for these channels. Meanwhile, there's all this opportunity that's coming to their their site that they either paid for or that came organically that they're just like letting walk right out the front door. Right. No, I mean, it's, it's great. And I think you said at some point, like for an e-commerce business, well, I guess for an e-commerce business, then base, if it's only D to C, then most of that business should come from your email list, I would imagine. Yeah. Well, Facebook, right. if they're running paid traffic, you're going to get a lot of sales from it just because you're paying for the traffic to come. And right. Facebook's really good at finding audiences that want to buy your stuff because that's right. how they make money. But if you're an e-com, if you're, you have a shopping cart on your site and, mm-hmm. or, you know, you sell your product direct to consumer. I always, generally I say that email should account for anywhere from 30 to 40 or 45% of your sales every single month. Wow. Okay. And there's variability there based on like, again, the other channels that are driving traffic. So for example, if you're, if you're using Facebook to drive purchases, it should be making up a considerable percentage of the purchases every month. They should be coming from Facebook. Right. That's why I say 40%, 45% on the high end from email, because if you're running paid, that's generally where it should be. But you know, if, if it's higher than that on the email side and you're also running paid, that tells me, would tell me that the paid isn't doing its job. Right. Very yeah. well. No, that makes sense. So okay, a, yeah, is that helpful? That makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Um, so I want to ask you specifically about sort of like email in the time of Corona. Yeah. Um, because I do feel like I've heard from every company that I've ever that they're there had, for you. I mean, literally, I can't tell you how many of them are there for me. They're yeah. all here for me, really and they're nice. all letting me know what they're doing. Whether I mean, and the thing is, like, I have to say, a lot of it feels borderline inappropriate. Um, some of it just feels like really opportunistic. Yeah. Um, and. I'm just trying, I know that, you know, and listen, I mean, I have a product to sell too. And we're all kind of trying to figure out, you know, how to, how to balance 
or sort of human empathy and this sort of existential crisis with like, well, we have a job to do and we have people's jobs to protect um, and a product that will could could make your life easier and bring you some joy. Um, so have you seen anything that you would highly recommend people not doing? Have you seen anything that you would recommend founders doing or thinking about differently kind of right now than maybe a month ago? Um, what's kind of your best advice? So right now, I think that it's, uh, it's we're mid-April right now. And so Corona's been here for a minute. So I think the time to message on Corona and that we're here for you or these are the steps that we're taking has been so played out and should be avoided at all costs at this point. Because right. I, I, four weeks ago when all this started, the, the initially people were just like, it was fear everywhere. They didn't know what to do, well, you know, just as humans, right? right? And two weeks in, it's started to be like it's become normalized. And now I think it's normalized in the sense that people are, are used to not going into the office every day, social yeah. distancing, being at home, quarantine, all that stuff. Right. And so meaning that mentally, subconsciously, I feel like whereas we're all dealing with this, people don't need to be reminded of the, the virtue signaling steps that you're taking right. uh, at your company as a, as a subscriber to tell me just to make yourself feel good or yeah. do that because your competitors are doing it. Right. So no, that makes sense. I think that by and large, the, uh, the accounts that we work with now, it's pretty much just in a sense, business as usual. Yes. There's yep. some different stuff going on from like a pr promotions or discounting perspective, but by and large, it's just like I've, there's what I've noticed is that there's really two classes go going on right now from the, what I have exposure to in the sense that some people are their business owners. They are fearful. So they, they retreat. And their businesses are suffering. They think yep. no one's buying. They scale back ad spend. They scale back on emails. They scale back on marketing. And their business is starting uh, to, sh to show that in terms of mm -hmm. performance. Whereas the other class of companies is they look at this as an opportunity. Yep. Not necessarily to spend more money, but like this is kind of where we to are. To thrive, right. Yeah. And I have to, I have to, I have to get creative and be yep. somewhat aggressive in order to still be here once we come out the other end of this yeah. thing. And those Do you think consumers that, generally have a tolerance for that? I mean, I have one company and I, and I actually know the founders and I like them, but I just feel like they are like pounding me with emails email? and subscribe and yeah, and I'm getting uh, all, well, you know. It just like, comes down to, that just comes down to strategy of said company. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so like, I, I'm, I don't advocate for that even in good times, a pounding right. your list or being yeah. too aggressive. But I, I just mean in the sense that there's people that are running businesses that are like, okay, this is what it is. And I have to figure out a way to make my business run. So right. we don't die. Um, yep. And, and coincidentally, those are the businesses that are crushing it right now from a yep. sales perspective, you know, like you right. think people, people think that because their life is a certain way at home that uh, people aren't out there spending money, but people are still humans and they still like to buy stuff. Yeah. Maybe their purchasing habits have changed or the car sizes have changed, but right. people are still shopping. Right. Cause it makes and so fun. I guess to answer your question in a long winded way, I guess my only advice would be don't message on Corona or what you and right. your company are doing uh, to be safe and still like think about your content calendar or your campaigns that you're sending. Don't be too aggressive to your point, but people need content to consume and still want to buy stuff. So yeah. don't be, don't be shy. Okay. That's great advice. All right. For founders who want to reach you, 
what's the best way to reach you? Um, you can email me, Phil, at <laughs> go, G-O, tetra, T-E-T-R-A dot C-O. Awesome. Um, Matt, thank you for being the best engineer. Thanks, um, <laughs> From far away. Um, and I will be back uh, next week with another episode of In the Sauce. Thanks, Phil. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the way that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org slash COVID-19. From interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists to firsthand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners to reports on how the crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep food radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate.